Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, Score, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Welcome to DBR Racing Products the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, they have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes. But they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries, constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain, they provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all, they've developed ProPeg mounts that allow you to use TRX450R Nerf bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DBR Racing, 
visit their website at www.dvratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you with any questions or inquiries. DVR Racing Products, where innovation meets performance, unleash the power within you. Mike Walsh, welcome to ATV Talk, brother. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing real good. How are you doing, Lenny? I'm doing awesome. <clears throat> you know, I watch you on social media, you know, your different platforms where you're posting different things. Um, and the reason for this is you built a KTM 300 quad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When, when, and where did you come up with the idea to build that? Well, it wasn't my idea at all. Actually, um, uh, one of our customers contacted us and um, asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And um, I like doing, you know, new stuff, and I feel like it kind of keeps the heartbeat of uh, of ATV going, and and some of this custom stuff kind of gets people motivated. Uh, you know, and going all the way back to the Suzuki when when we when we when when uh, TC and and Henson and stuff brought brought me that idea. That wasn't my idea either. It was a bike that somebody an ATV somebody wanted to build, and it's kind of the same thing. I had um, one of our our good customers had a client that wanted this 300, and they wanted it for cross country. Well, cross country is slightly out of our wheelhouse a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, two stroke hasn't been that popular lately, but I said, you know what, I think this is going to be a really cool build and I'm really excited to do it. So like me, I, I'm into this stuff. So I jumped on it and then that's how we kind of got here. And it was in the process for a, an extremely long time. Um, I expected this thing to release probably six months or eight months ago, but, uh, kind of drug out. And um, due to just different things, and and um, but we finally did release it, and it was real cool that I got the chance to uh, work with it personally. So the the client is going to race it in the cross country and the you know the cross country stuff. I yeah, I mean um, that's the plan. I think he actually has. Um, I think he's a. Now I don't know the guy personally. I do know my customer. Um, my customer was Frankie from uh, BCC Skids. Um, they actually did a lot of the assembly work and the leg work of this of this build. <clears throat> um, that's what actually brought. It's, it was a long story, but you know the the chassis got shipped up to him. Everything, the gas tank. They were going to put it all together, get it running, and be done. I was never going to see it, but they ended up getting most of the way done with it. And then called me and asked me if I would be willing to build this custom oil tank and help them help them get it running and get it get it um, going. And I, you know, I, I jumped on it because I knew one, I knew I wanted to see it and work with it and ride it. Two, I really wanted to post about this thing because I thought I really thought the world needs to see this thing, and I. I thought it was that cool. Um, this 300 runs really well. So it's in that this, this project was so crazy because it actually started out as a carved 300. 
and I actually had that motor first. And I said, Frankie, I said, you know, they have an EFI bike out there. We should try that. Now it might've not been the right, the right thing to do, but I think it really was keeping up with technology to do this, um, to do this injected motor. So that's kind of how it started. He took the carb motor back. He was on his way to Decker's. He took that back and gave me the EFI motor. So it's been a, a process. It was just one of those things. That that sounds awesome. Have you gotten to follow much of the information that comes out about the motorcycle? I didn't. I did look into it a little bit once the unit got to our shop and we had to mess with this oil injection tank. And that was that was um that was a battle in itself, this this oil injection tank. I don't know if anybody, all you guys or any of you guys seen it on social media, but it it we had to get really sneaky with this thing. And and the, the deal is is here's what I understand about it. You can't pre-mix it because the injectors put the fuel on the top of the piston. And if you if you pre-mix it, there's not gonna be any oil getting to your rod bearing and your lower main bearings. This is how I understand it. So you must oil inject it and you can't change that. This is how, this is what they tell me because it's kind of a split system. Um, You got the fuel on the top and you got the oil on the bottom, which in my opinion may make more horsepower because you might have a cleaner, a more gas to oil ratio. And, And believe it or not, this thing is, I think they're setting at 60 to one is what they say. It runs at 60 to one. And, you know, when I used to race, I was mixing myself 32 to one. So if that tells you anything, you got half the oil in this thing. And it made big power, honestly. Well, I've been following the motorcycle, um, all the different individuals that have ridden them in different environments. And I have a friend of mine that has both. One of these days, Uh I'm going to go and get to ride both of these machines. Even though I'm not that brand of motorcycle fan, there's so many pot. I've never heard anybody say anything negative about riding this motorcycle. I believe it, man. This this power delivery, this EFI, well, this electric start for one is awesome. Uh, Just it turns over really fast to be great for a dead start. It starts immediately. Um, This EFI system is just it's real crisp. It, it, It does everything real good. Now, like anything, I'm sure you're going to have to put the time in, you know, if you want to mod this thing or you'll get more power out of it or just, you know, know it better. You're probably going to have to put some time in on that side of it, of the motor, the EFI side and stuff like that and learn about it. And I'm not I'm not at that level like, you know, we're primarily a component and chassis shop. We did get heavily involved with the motors when we were racing, but I've kind of branched away from that. And took the company in a different direction. So we do do the dynoing. We will, you know, do stuff like that, but primarily for our builds, kind of like we did with this one. But I think there's a there's got to be a lot on the table because, like I said, it did make some great power and it ran amazing. Did you get to go ride it? Oh yeah, I rode it personally. I was the first one to ride it. So did you just ride it around the shop, or did you take it to environment and ride it? No, we put it on the dyno. We checked the air fuel ratio. We, you know, we did 
<clears throat> everything like that and check the horsepower the torque you know didn't go crazy with it didn't really change much or anything just made sure it was good we took it off the dyno and i put it in the backyard and uh i fooled around with it i really didn't hit any jumps you know now it was set up for cross country so it was narrow it had big tires on it but it was the gen 2 walsh chassis which is ltr platform um handled pretty good i mean it had elkas all the way around it and i just kind of cut some corners and, and did some wheelies and uh did some braking and and did some accelerating passes and a couple hole shots and and i didn't you know i spent maybe an hour on it to be honest i, I don't really have great feed you know tons of feedback but i did do some dead engine starts and it seems like it starts immediate for these cross-country guys that are interested you know it whether it be the bike or the or the quad, it starts really good. It had a lot of torque. Um, it was really rideable. Um, if it got low in the power band, it still had it still had some meat down there. So, you know, I was and the last two stroke I rode was a um, four twenty one Puma in a quad, anyways. Uh, LED motor, and it was extremely fast. It made sixty six horse on our dyno, but it wasn't rideable like this thing. This thing was super rideable that's one of the tells about everybody that i've talked to that's ridden the motorcycle version that you can't beat the power curve because it has bottom mid top it and it's so easy to ride the machine the chassis itself is really well put together because whether you're a mid-sized rider or a smaller rider you can handle the machine and maneuver it even in the tight technical environment. And I'm, I'm assuming you got to, to handle the motor. It's not that heavy, is it? No, super light. And the best thing about this whole deal is it's counterbalanced and it does not vibrate. And it doesn't vibrate. It makes good power and it's smooth and it's luggable. You're not going to like, even, even like a new CRF. If you have a new CRF and you're in a quad chassis or something and you get it down in the RPMs, it could cough out on you. It's got a small flywheel very light internals where it is two stroke. It really, it really did not want to cough out, die, any of that stuff. It would, it would lug way down there at low RPMs. Um, so I noticed that about it for sure. And then the counterbalance was, you know, it really made, it really made it come. I wouldn't, I honestly, I wouldn't, I get people that want me to do YZ two fifty two strokes all the time and stuff like that. And I, I refuse to do it because I'm not, I did that stuff when I was a kid back in the nineties uh, with Goodman and, and Wayne from PEP and, 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 and the boys, but, and we tested a bunch of CR stuff and we actually rubber isolated the entire engine and this and that. And it wasn't any good. I mean, I had Harold was actually riding testing and he actually the tie rod isol oscillated so violently that it actually snapped the end off the tie rod. That's how bad the harmonics were. So <clears throat> I wouldn't have touched the project if it wasn't counterbalanced. That's, that's what makes this thing so awesome to ride. And, and you know, as far as a two stroke that everybody loves, you know, I, I agree 100%. So did you make an exhaust for it or did you use a motorcycle exhaust that was already there? Well, I got, I got kind of crafty on this. So when I designed the, um, the chassis, 
if you look at the chassis, it looks slightly different. It looks more like the LT500 that we did. Um, I made room and I actually have the entire pipe rubber isolated the bone stock expansion chamber, totally rubber isolated. I did have to make a mod to the, um, the stinger, the, well, not the stinger, but the, um, silencer tube coming from the, coming from the expansion chamber to the silencer. I had to make a mod there, but that was, I extended it. That was and changed the angle of it, but that was the only thing I did. So you can ruin your head pipe or your, we'll call it expansion chamber. You could go out get a pro circuit, go out, get an FMF, go out, whatever, get an OEM, whatever you, we actually had a pro circuit on this one. The bike, the chassis, everything was hundred percent stock except for it was a pro circuit pipe, but it was the pro circuit pipe for the bike. So I wanted to do that because I didn't, I wanted to get away from these pipe problems. And I just thought that it was, um, the way to go. You don't have to have a hand comb pipe or anything to run this thing. You just literally bolt it on. That that's excellent. Did you run the stock ECU? Yes. Yes. All I had was a, uh, a complete air box with a stock Suzuki LTR filter oiled with the top off. That was it. So I had the top off. That's it. No holes, nothing cut in it. And I had the, um, the, the sting, the stinger mod other than that. And it was a pro circuit pipe. Other than that, it bone stock, not a mod to it. And, and you, you, you are able to get into the stock ECU. No, 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 we didn't touch the ECU. We, we ran pump gas with uh, Maxima Super M, and uh, the air fuel ratio was right there. I mean, you were close to thirteen to one. Really? That's yeah. How did you? How did you set the radiator system up? Uh well, the rate. <laughs> okay, so that was done twice. We put <laughs> <laughs> we put an LTR radiator in it, and. Um, I sent it up there like that. It was actually a Michi Moto, which I'm kind of a stickler for detail and they don't have it, but I would rather had run an OEM um, Suzuki radiator. I really like those, but these boys decided they're going to run the Michi Moto and they put it in and on the, well, I built it for the, the radiator, which is, it was the same mounts as the stock radiator, but where the, where it did get a little wild was the lower uh, spigot out of the radiator ran directly into the pipe. So what I did is I moved it about four inches over to the center of the radiator and I had plenty of room. And actually it was funny because Frankie, he's, I don't know if you know Frankie, I mean, he's probably been on the show, um, but he's a real unique person. And he he had the part number of the upper radiator hose still on the upper radiator hose. And I'm like, Frankie, this does not look factory. He's like, no, no, it's perfect because it actually takes the same upper and lower hose and you can get it right from advanced. And here's your part number. So I thought that was kind of funny. It was kind of clever, but it took the same hose upper and bottom. And 
what he ended up doing was he put on, and this was really cool. I, I had never seen this before, but I'm not a big woods guy or I'm kind of out of the loop on the whole engine side of things and you know what what not as like I was before when we were racing. But he had this fan, a trail tech fan, and and he could have mounted two of them on it, but he he had a trail tech fan system that was operated off of heat and it and it had a little um and it had a little digital readout on it telling you the temperature of the coolant of, of the radiator. So when that he and he set it for like I think it was set at like 150. So when the radiator reached or the coolant reached or whatever one or the other I'm not sure reached 150 the fan automatically turned on. So that was real cool. I never saw that and it worked and it pulled a lot of air. So if you're if your engine gets over 150, the fan automatically comes on. That's pretty cool. It was really cool, actually. And it was simple to mount. Anybody could mount it. It went actually right through the radiator. And it was uh, like rubber isolated on there, rubber mounted. Really cool. And Trail Tech makes this. Yeah. I never seen it before. I, it was so simple. It was crazy. But it worked great. Yeah, And that I, thing didn't get hot. You know, that that is so cool that they put those things on there and they were on there when you got the machine back. Yeah, they put they put that on there. He knew about it. They Frankie's kind of into the woods game and the, and his customer is a woods is very I mean, he's he's probably I, I heard. I don't know. Don't quote me. I think he's about 50 ish and he's been in the GNC. He's been a. Uh, avid gnc racer for a long time so i think it's just part of the game they know about this stuff and uh they put it on and i was cool because you didn't have to change the stator you didn't have to do any wiring nothing you know the biggest problem with this whole deal was the oil reservoir tank and and actually when i built when i designed this oil reservoir tank we actually put the um the internal uh internal flow in there which was like kind of a if the oil was low it turned on a light so that's actually still in there so you still it's it's really clean i mean it's people had made comments on the video you know ktm should produce this and honestly they 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 should because um it was it was a really usable piece and being the two stroke, you got the no valves, you got, you know, no cams, it, you don't have as many moving parts. It just, in my opinion, it was probably much cheaper to maintain over the duration of the lifespan of the vehicle. What about width? How wide did you make it? Oh, uh, we're 47 ish. 46 and three quarters, depending on ride height. So close to what a, um, an old school stock machine yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's pretty much what we've been making all the GNCC stuff. Like we've been, I don't know if people know, but Chris Borch has been testing a new front end we've designed. Um, I had, uh, John Glotta Jr. do a little bit of testing on a unit. Um, excited to be working with those guys, but we do have a new GNCC front end out, and that's pretty much the widths we're kind of running at ride heights. 
with that stuff. That's pretty cool. And and you you set those front ends up to run the Fox or the Elka. Yeah, I mean that's really you know it's it has the same shock mount location on um, no matter you know it is what it is, and then these manufacturers now now Fox hasn't been as heavily involved in it as they were, so I don't think you can call up Fox and buy a Fox shock for it. Will can somebody make it? Will somebody make it? Maybe, but Elka. Yes, uh, Axis is actually doing the stuff for uh, Chris Borich and I think Lada Jr. too. Um, but, uh, you know, Elka, I'm sure we're, you know, we're talking with a couple more top GNCC guys, uh, you know, getting on the product. Um, we're talking to them. So I'm sure Elka will have a test, tried, chewed, and tested good setup available. I'm sure that they will too. Did did the stock fuel tank work or did you have to build a custom aluminum and set the pump in it or is it an external pump? All right, good question, good question. Um, well, how we designed that was we built a hand-fabricated aluminum tank, big, like three gallons. It comes up out of the plastic and we used a 2023 CRF 450 pump in the bottom of it. Uh, so the KTM, if you know, you KTM fans out there, you'll know that the pump is kind of a nightmare in the KTM, much simpler in the, uh, CRF. So if you use the KTM stuff, how it was in, in the, in a couple of years ago, I'm sure it's the same way. You have to penetrate the tank in two spots where the CRF is one billet flange. That's it. So we simplified it and went with the with the Kate with the um CRF pump and I wired it up and it boom, no zero problems. It just immediately ran perfect. And you run a dry brake on there as well? Yeah, dry brake. That's right. Billet, billet flange with uh it was uh IMS, I believe, dry brake system. Very nice. So let me ask you this, and you'll remember this because I uh, you were around for the 250R days. So when they built the aluminum tanks for the 250Rs, none of them would live, the aluminum tanks. Uh -huh. They could never get them to live. And one of the only ways I ever heard of them living is they would take the aluminum tank and they would bondo it with automotive bondo and then rubber cushion it and they would get longer life out of it that way but they never could solve the tank from ever failing beans that you just built a fuel tank for a counterbalanced two stroke. How do you think it's going to live? I think it's going to live well. I mean, I've done thousand tanks, aluminum, um, literally. And we've learned a lot over the years. Now there's, the way we do it is we rubber isolate the entire tank. So the tank doesn't touch the frame at all. Right. And that's a big deal. The second thing is the tanks annealed. So I use a certain aluminum an annealable aluminum and I bring it up to temperature in my powder coating oven. 
and I, and, and it's gotta, and it's gotta be like 700 degrees, um, ish. And you bring it up to that and it anneals it. And what that does is it makes it very, um, alas, alas, I don't know how to say the word, but it, um, it makes it very malleable. Like you can, you can, it's soft. It's really soft. It's not like you're not going to poke your finger through it, but it's way softer than like a 6061 or, or a tempered aluminum or anything like that. So, um, I, I do a lot of aircraft work. Not a lot. I do some, I work with a couple guys at the air local airport here. And, uh, I really put a lot of emphasis on the aircraft because they just have so much technology. I mean, their stuff in the forties was way, you know, just, huge technology you know uh but you got to use the right aluminum um i mean those guys still like the gas weld which is just which is just really old stuff it was how tig welded started starting how what tig welding has advanced from was gas welding to my knowledge so um but anyways i think the tank it's not going to be as good as a plastic tank i mean i'm not gonna lie to you it's it's not going to have that type of, um, you know, you're not going to need that much time that much time at it. But the thing of it is, it is it it's 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 lifetime fixable. So if the crank, I, I mean, I get a lot of tanks that come back here, and um, that's kind of how I I've developed these things. I've I've got a, I've had tanks with you know 100 hours on them that would come back and. And they'd be cracked or be leaking, and and you'd figure out where you need more metal and where you need less stress risers, and where you, you know, and 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 if you annealed that one or if you didn't anneal that one. So that's kind of like how how we've kind of developed the tanks. And you're right, the the tanks is not as user friendly as the, but for a custom build like this, you you don't have a lot of options. Yeah, yeah, you'd almost be into. Um, adapting a plastic tank from another model. But then again, that might not be your best option for fitment or pump location. Um, Yeah, some of the things. I've also seen some of them where they use an external pump instead of an in-the-gas tank pump. Yeah, and the thing of it is with that KTM motor, the spark plug, I had to build a tunnel in the... um, in the gas tank because I um, had to have a tunnel for the spark plug and the and the spark plug wire because that got that 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 spark plug is just so tall in that thing. So even if you use like an LTR tank, like a like an IMS LTR tank, and tried to make some billet adapters or something where you like you said you did have external pumps on it, like. You know, even like the LTR tank is, it it does have an external pump. I mean, you'd still have fitment problems like you touched on. So I, I agree with you on that for sure. Wow. I didn't, I, I have not seen uh, the motor up close. So there's some things that I don't know about it. Uh, I'm going to have to do a little bit more investigating on this. I cannot wait for this individual to go race this machine. I'm hoping that they post more information because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I'm not a KTM fan. 
but yeah, I, we know. <laughs> I am a huge fan of this machine, even though I haven't got to ride it yet. And, and the only reason is, is because everybody that I've talked to that's written it or every person that's written about it, it's positive. And if, and if everybody's positive, it's gotta be a good machine. Yeah, actually I, I agree a hundred percent. My buddy, Luke Renslin, who's you uh, you still, and he's a pro moto guy. He owns dreamland right next to the shop and he raced, um, supercross for uh, a couple of years and actually podiumed at the East West shootout, uh, in Vegas, which was very impressive. Um, he ended up getting one of these Husky two strokes and he actually campaigned a two stroke in the outdoor nationals, um, after his supercross career was done <laughs> and he qualified for a bunch in this, that, and the other, I think he actually still may be dabbling in it. I'm not sure, but reason i'm saying this is while we are building this particular chassis with this motor in it he had the carbureted 250 version that he would moto on his track and he's like i love this thing i absolutely love it so that was encouraging for me building the project and um hearing that and and he had the 250 and you know i said you know what's the power like well he's like you know it's better than a modern day 254 stroke, but it's not a 454 stroke by any means. And it's not, but I mean, numbers wise, we're, we were 47, just, you know, dinos, they're dinos, but it was on the same dyno in a 2022, a 2022 CRF put out 52 at um, 34. And this motor put out 47 at 30. So, and if that tells you anything, it's not a modern day 450, but it still has good power. So let me ask you this, and let's get into more of your wheelhouse, the motocross side of it. You do really well. You have a lot of product there. You have a lot of guys running your stuff and winning the races. What would happen if we wanted to grow the, pro side of ATV MX where you run your pro class, your pro classes on Saturday or an event by themselves and bring back a, a two stroke pro class uh, to run. I know it would be hybrid because you're not going to get a two stroke um, ATV. You know, there isn't one you can still, you can build 250 R Hondas all aftermarket. I mean, you can build the whole thing aftermarket. You can make them a 300. You could build this KTM 300. There's a couple other model motors out there, you know, that you might want to do. What do you think something like, do you think something like that could be pulled off? Man, I love where your head's at right now. I'm, I'm actually, you're talking to the wrong guy because (laughs) I am so upset with atv racing um as far as like the political side of it and the the ama side of it where and i guess i'm just old school but man i i just love these full builds they just i come from the drag race where you know you build the entire chassis, you put whatever motor in it, you do whatever you got to do. Everything's custom. Everything's this, everything's that. 
and they cookie cuttered the racing so much and that's when i got turned off as a rider and you know i'm sure other people heard some of my podcasts or whatever before but i just you know back in 0203 when we had those full crfs and and uh you know high even even those chassis 250rs and 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 all these drz's and the y z's and all this it was so cool to me and i loved it and it was just so much development and 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 we were just developing and and things were moving forward at a high rate of speed and then the factories came and then the ama um snuggled up to the factories which i mean i understand the whole thing but to answer the question i would absolutely love that i think it would be so cool to have that developmental class in this class where you're not buying $200 valves, you know, you know, I don't know his feelings. I'm going to hurt. I, I do. I am an empathetic person. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I understand we all have our place in this world, but it would be really cool to be able to have a class where you change the piston and hone the cylinder and you were back going, or maybe change the crank for 400 bucks or something. But and and if you could, and you know, I could touch on some stuff. You know, it depends where this this conversation goes. But I have some big, big stuff coming out in the near future. Uh, currently working with a, I can't really say, I can soon, within the next week or two, or maybe even this week. But I can't at the moment. But I have a really cool company that I'm working with and it's two stroke based. So, and it would be perfect for exactly what you said you're saying. And, you know, I don't know, people might hear that we're coming out with the gen three hybrid. They might not care. They might care who knows, but it's going to be Yamaha based. Um, so we'll take the, the, it'll be a Yamaha platform, uh, plastic, you know, bolt ons, everything like that will be all Yamaha based since the Yamaha is so strong right now, but we are planning on offering a two stroke, modeled gen three immediately um so <clears throat> i think to answer the question i love the idea i think it's awesome and i think we need more versatility i don't mind a pro a pro production class i love it it's great that's it's great it's a different niche but for those creators out there those guys that want to showcase their talents of building of assembling i think that class you're talking about would be great but how do you get people? I know, I know they tried to introduce a completely stock class and that was going okay. And then they took it away. So I don't, I'm not a promoter or anything like that. I don't know how you would get people wanting to do it or excited about it, but I, I would be excited about it. Well, that's the problem we have with our industry. I don't think that the, the, the participants realize that if we're going to go forward, we're going to need participation. That means people are going to have to come out and participate in these things that we do. Because if they don't, it, it's all going to go away. And <clears throat> that's that's one of the problems with most of the ATV world is they scream, oh, there's no practice track. There's no this. There's no that. And then you get it for them and then nobody shows up. Yeah, I was just having a in-depth conversation with my uh a, a friend of mine that lives in florida uh, his son races um he's a very competitive youth all-star guy 
Hubert and um, Damien Hubert and um, his dad's a, a friend of mine and he lives in South Florida. And he is like, dude, we cannot, we have no tracks to practice on, you know? And I, and I told him if, if, if ATV doesn't go back to grassroots. And when I say that, I mean, grassroots to me is like local practice tracks and local race tracks, non-national sanctioned stuff where you can go out on the weekend. You don't have to spend a weekend. You, you can spend a day. You don't have to spend a week. You don't have all this prep time and you could just go out. You can have a good time and you can go home and, and get on with your everyday life because very important. I started grassroots. I didn't go out to a national and I'm sure you guys probably did as well. And a lot of people used to start that way, but now it's kind of drying up and it's, it's going to really affect the industry if they don't push the grassroots stuff. And I don't know how to have these tracks have to accept quads, but a lot of tracks are not accepting quads. Because there's not enough of them. <clears throat> when you get six guys show up, you know, right. they don't want to hassle with it. They don't right. want to break their program. The motorcycle guys whine and cry. Right. Damage their track or ruin their lines. Well, True. And, and I get it. Um, what if they took, because if you look up ATV MX, there's not a pro designation. It's still considered an amateur sport. No way. I don't believe that. Look it up. Google it. You go Google it and tell me I'm wrong. They have, they have pro licenses. I get it, but it's still categorized under amateur nationals. Hey, remember Gary Denton made it to the Hall of Fame. Right on, bro. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's awesome. Uh, but my problem, my, my deal is, is I think that they need to, no offense to the amateurs, I don't want to take anything away from them. We need to go back to a pro day, a, a pro race. Okay, the motorcycles have a pro day. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You need to have a pro ATV national. And then you have your AMA or your, your amateur qualifiers for your amateur races and have them all over the country and bring them together like a Loretta Lynn's type deal for the amateur titles. You know, I, I did think at one point that if we divided the United States up into four segments and you had your regional champions and then you did do like a, national where you had like a Loretta's where you had all the regions or somewhere in, in the middle of the country, bring them all to that point. You know, I, at one point I thought that was a smart idea. It's really this ATV and I know you're California based and your company is and have been forever, but, but most of the racing or the racers right now are, are Eastern. Yep. I agree. Because it's 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 almost died out here on the West Coast, uh, cost, um, lack of places to do things, too many things to do. You know, in Southern California, you can go snow skiing and jet skiing and riding your motorcycle in the desert on the same all on the same weekend. And yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, not everywhere you can do that. Uh, it, and 
your cost of living out here is so ungodly expensive and they keep shutting things down constantly. I mean, Glenn Helen is still there. Um, and I think Elsinore is going to be there for a little while. Other than that, I can't think of anywhere else you can go ride an ATV. Well, I've heard, and I don't, I don't follow this stuff like I used to, but I heard the um, bike side of things was down as well. In California? No, just in general, like the numbers for the the two wheeler stuff, like the the entry levels, the fan base, you know. And I think, I I mean, I you know, listen, listen. My brother has a son. That dude is on the tablet like fifteen hours a day. Like he is not behind bars. He is not going out doing anything where he could potentially hurt himself. I think we live in a different world now where, I mean, when I grew up, I wanted to be the coolest dude riding the wheelies, you know, and jumping over the jumps and stuff and daredevilish, you know, and I think probably all the people felt the same way. You know, you see these memes and stuff on Instagram and, you know, you see these kids jumping over you know, other kids on bicycles and they're like, this is when I grew up. And then you see the people that are growing up now and they're behind a tablet or an iPhone or something. And I think it's just, it's not where we need the, um, the people, the the heads. It's exactly the opposite of riding. We need to get the devices out of these kids' hands and get them out in the sunshine right. and, and, and get him participating in the world, you yes. know, drink, let yes. him drink out of the garden hose again. And, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, we all survived. Right. And, and that's, that's your, and I'm with you. I mean, I don't have kids, unfortunately, but at this, at this, it, it's just, it, we're not doing those things. It's, it's not happening. And, um, until the, the, the parents parent differently, I don't really see it happening. So I feel like, yeah, you're going to have those crazy families that love motorsports and their kids going to strap a leg over, you know, a KX 60 or something, or, you know, or, or one of these ATVs, but it's definitely not the majority no and and i think that our biggest worry is is not just for atvs but for children in general you know all sports mm-hmm. yeah got to get them out of got to get them away from the technology and mm-hmm. outside get them exercise and uh, change change parenting because a lot of parents parent with a tablet or a phone and that's not parenting. That's brainwashing your children. Yeah, it's we live in such a world where there's just no time. And I think it's just easier for these. They think it's safer and it's and it's easier for the parents to just here, keep yourself entertained, you know, it, and I, I have no room to judge. Like I said, I'm not a parent or whatever, but, you know, I do have my opinions on it. So. um it is what it is, but I do feel like it is definitely affecting, you know, but, but there is pretty good youth numbers. I think, I think Lenny, um, in the, in the nationals, in the motocross nationals, there are, and some of the other series, you know, look at cross country though. 
they're growing constantly. Uh-huh. But they're a one day race. Being, that's what I that's what I said when I said the grassroots stuff. This 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 deal of going for three and four days, it, it's too much. It's too <laughs> much financially. You go 10 times a year, okay, and you gotta be there Friday. So that means you're leaving on Thursday. And most of these parents are driving all night, Sunday night to get home so they can go to work on Monday, dead ass tired. And there's no, that's not right. You're, you're, you're burning. It's, I think that's what's happening on California on on the way on the work series three days. It's no, it needs to go back to what it was originally where you could race all the classes in, in one Saturday, Sunday, cut out that practice. I know the promoter screaming, Oh, we want that practice money. Well, you're losing entries because you're not, you're running the day, the, the race thing too long. You know, my brother, Lauren, great points, great points. My brother, Lauren bitched about this years ago when they instituted the practice thing, he, he told them they were making a mistake then. And they all thought, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, everybody's going to love it. No, they're not loving it. They're hating it because it's costing them money. I'm going to say this, and I'm probably going to get hated about it. But in my opinion, the level of competition is just too high. Like, it's, it's almost unreasonable to think that you can one day compete with, with Joel or, or, or Chad or, or Bryce or, you know, the, this, this rim right now we're, we have a very competitive class. Nick is going real good. I mean, Restrelli go, goes good. There's a lot of, you know, I mean, Brandon Hogue is, is, is definitely just, just killing it. You know, there's a lot of very, a lot of talent, very high, high level, but, to reach that level, people don't understand the money, the, 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 and I'm saying it, I'm saying the money, the money, the dedication, the family dedication. It's, it's a very, it's a lot of, of the dedication to get to a level like that. So what I'm trying to say is, um, it kind of, the competition kind of takes some of the the fun out of it and and this competition is going back into the 250 classes and, and and everything is so competitive these days it's it's very hard just to be an average type dude that wants to ride a quad and go out there and feel any good about yourself well part of the problem in my opinion this is a double edged sword I think the machines are too expensive at the lower levels. And that hurts the aftermarkets because you need to lessen the mods they can do to keep them in the sport longer and develop them so that they understand when they put those A-arms on and those cool shocks, what they're getting. Because you have riders that have ridden pro-level machines in the 250 class and they have no idea how they work 
because somebody else sets the shocks for them. Somebody else does all the work for them. And all they do is throw their leg on and go ride it. Yeah. You don't know. how yeah. to ride it. it doesn't work. No, this stuff is, um, I, you know, I love to see the sport progress. I love to see these riders progress. If you watch these riders now, I mean, it's a ballet out there. These guys are, they're magicians. They're amazing. And I love all that. I love to see where the sport's gone. I'm just, I'm just saying that it is, it's, it's a difficult, it's very, it's a, it's a very demanding sport. And if you don't bring your A game, yeah, you're going to get humbled. I mean, you know, I mean, I know when I was racing, I, there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears for sure. But now it's even higher than that. Well, yeah. I mean, you go back when I was racing all the time on the West coast, we were in the pickup. We, everybody was in a pickup truck. Yeah, exactly. Nobody had a, had a motor home. No. And, and now right. if you don't have a $250,000 rig and, and a trailer and a mechanic and a, and an extra bike, don't go. Well, <laughs> uh, ex- exactly. Exactly. And you know, and here, Here's what even gets, and I, and I love this one, which I'll probably catch hell for this one too, but like I've had people, I've had, I don't want to take anything away from anybody, but I have had, I've had average riders come to my shop in a $250,000 motorhome and wanting, wanting major discounts or even expecting things for nothing. And, you know, and I'm driving around in a, a pento <laughs> you know it's like it's like dude i can't fund your payment for your motorhome man i just you know i just i can't i can't do it so to me it's 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 definitely not balanced you know you know we have and i guess i'm i'm sour a little bit to some of it because we have severely heavily supported the sport and love to do it, but with everything tightening up so much, I mean, with it's fine. We're we're having a, a hard time getting legitimate employees, and it, it 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 it's affecting quad racing. I mean, on the level that we provide parts to for, you know, you can't get a good employee for not decent amount of money, and you only have so much wiggle room in each one of these components because they are handmade. And like you said, a, a lot of these mods are, are, you know, they should in this stock class, you know, Chad was a big supporter, uh, Mr. Weenan of the stock class. And, and I can't argue with them. I mean, it was, it was, it made sense and, and to be able to buy a Yamaha YFZR or something and put minimal mods on it. And maybe those rules needed to be tweaked a little bit but they were on the right track and then they shut the class down. I I just don't get it. I don't get why they, why they shut it down either because they should have instituted it in every level. Right. Every level should have had to race it. Yep. And, every and, level. And I almost to the point where you don't get to ride the mod 450 class until you've earned enough points in your stock 450 class. Because you're taking dad's bank account or mom's bank account and draining it every year, building these brand new 
30 plus thousand dollar machines and maybe we would have another manufacturer or two manufacturers if you're racing stock machines and then creating a manufacturer's cup at the end of the year for the pro class like they do in so many other sports, you know, like F1 has a manufacturer's cup. Moto's GP has a manufacturer's cup. Um, and some of these other series do as well. So that, you know, Yamaha would be earning all the cups because they're the guys right now. But that might spark Kawasaki or KTM or maybe KTM doesn't want to do it. So they want to put out a gas gas brand, what, whatever, you know, bring Polaris back for all I care. but. I know they probably would never get a trophy, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying and where I'm going with it. I, I believe that we, the industry, have to push for these things, though. Collectively, me, you, the other builders all have to get involved and then get our customer base to understand we're trying to grow the sport and we need everyone to start you know, like the, the the rock in the pond where the ripples start to go out. We need those ripples to go out and get to the manufacturers and say, hey, this is what we need to grow the sport. You need to sell 50,000 units. Well, you got to make one first. If you don't make one, you're never going to sell one. So right. <clears throat> the Honda, you know, was was behind the time. And it's not fair to say that Honda wouldn't sell units if they had something that was competitive to the Yamaha. As far as, like you said, a manufacturer's cup where you did run an OEM-based machine. And, and, I, and I'm, I don't know the ins and outs of this sport. Like if somebody came and wanted to judge my business, and I don't want to sound like, hey, I'm judging the AMA or or making all these accusations or, or anything like that. Cause, cause I'm not, and I don't have all the facts, but we're just here talking and, and these are just things that we're seeing. And I agree with a lot of the things you're saying. And I, and I am not against the manufacturer's cup. And I do feel, and, and they've already went that way because when they banned the hybrids uh, and they, they tried to ban them in pro-am. Did you hear that this year? They're they're doing it in 24, aren't they? Or was it 25? They say 24, 25 or something now. Um, but I know a lot of my customers are very upset about that because they're projecting to run some of their stuff that they currently ride with because these chassis that we build do last a long time and you can race them numerous years. So they're projecting to ride some of this stuff and and now they're 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 going to have to segue and 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 build Yamahas basically, you know what I mean? And, and, um, but they, you know, when they got rid of the hybrids, they have already started catering to the, to the manufacturers. So, right. Why wouldn't they continue and have these OEM based classes like these stock classes? I really do think the stock class is a good, good idea because if I wanted to race, I could go down, I could finance me a Yamaha. I could throw on a wall snaring stem and a bar clamp. Or, you know, I could grab some wheels and tires and I could go out there and have a great time. I, I think it's an easy way to get into the sport. I think it's a great way. And I, I do support that. So what about this rumor mill? 2024 is the last year Yamaha's making a 450. 
So you've just taken your pro-am class, locked it into production base. Well, in 2025, you can't buy a new bike. Why would you have a production-based class if there's no manufacturer for it? It makes no sense. Do they do they know something we don't? Or is is the rumor mill wrong? Or are they trying to are they trying to uh manipulate Yamaha by saying, hey, look, we're catering to you. Don't stop production of the bike. Mike, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time with me. And I will send you some messages about the YouTube. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events, builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world, and they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to Duncan Tech International at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 